We turn this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Our text begins at verse 7. I'd like to back up and begin reading at verse 3 through verse 11. Hebrews 12, 3 to 11. For consider him to command, to contemplate Christ. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. My soul is always troubled when I preach a text like this because it is not making emphasis of the death of Christ the way we must always first and foremost view it. Whenever we think about the death of Christ, we ought to think about the legal, substitutionary, vicarious death of Jesus Christ for our sins. The primary way, the first and foremost way to ever and always think about the death of Christ has to do with our status of being acceptable to God the Father, holy God the Father, in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. But Hebrews 12 is asking us to think about the cross of Christ in a different way. And, of course, it's a legitimate way. It's just that you don't want to think about it in this way if you haven't thought about it the first and foremost way. And so even when I read the text, I get a little nervous because I want to make sure that everyone is thinking about the death of Christ in the first and foremost way. And then once you are, we're invited now to think about it in the terms of Christ going to the cross as the ultimate expression of his faith in the plan of God for our salvation. And in that sense, we are referring to the cross of Christ as the best of human example. His death on the cross is the best example of any human being, because he was fully human, and God but is the best example of faith, trust, in the Father's plan. And that becomes the focus, then, of our consideration, verse 3. Verse 4, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And I might add the words, as did he. Your trek in life in comparison to Christ and his trek in earthly life. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you is unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, 
Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are or which are exercised thereby. Father, as we return to the thought of the disciplinary action of you as our God concerning each and every one of your children, we pray that our ears would be uniquely opened, our hearts uniquely uh, tenderized to receive the truth for the benefit of our own walk and development as the family of God. Bless then, in the study of the scriptures this morning, we would pray each one who is herein gathered. For we do ask in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. In 1965, Joe Gold opened his first Gold's Gym in Venice Beach, California. After celebrity strongmen flocked to Joe's Gold's Gym, Gold opened a a number of training sites across the nation. Uh, the closest one to us here in this area would be the Gold Gym in Taylor, Michigan, near Detroit. The Gold Gym logo uh, depicts a weightlifter pulling up a deadlift bar laden with super heavy weights. And that logo is indeed world-renowned. I'm not at all a t-shirt guy, uh, but I saw a t-shirt at the Christian bookstore, and I confess it did catch my eye. It used the Gold's Gym logo and uh, took away the L apostrophe uh, S under Gold's and simply said, God's Gym. God's gym. Now, there actually is such a thing as God's gym, according to verse 11. The word exercise in Hebrews 12, 11 is the Greek word gumnazo, of course, yielding the English word gymnasium. We return to the subject matter at hand, which is God's training or God's gym. And God's training involves all of his children for strength and endurance of faith, for cultivation of personal holiness. Again, I remind you that in this context, we have considered the diligent effort of Jesus in his faithfulness and calling under the plan, the eternal plan of God the Father, which ended in his bloodshed for our sins. 
He is the ultimate example of enduring faith as was stated in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Jesus died the cruel death on the cross in the will of God the Father. Believers then, believers now, are commanded to meditate, commanded to contemplate, verse 3, upon the Lord's earthly experience in the will of God the Father, lest they suffer mental sickness. End of verse 3. Peter wrote a similar thing when he said to believers of his generation, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. No, believers that have read the Word of God and are studying the Word of God know that this earthly life is indeed a life of ongoing struggle. And uh, we should not expect until we're with the Lord, by death or rapture, we should not expect uh, life to be without struggle. God's purpose in allowing his capital S son to suffer, even to the point of bloodshed, is, of course, understood in the terms of our salvation. But God's purpose in allowing his sons, small s with the plural, sons to suffer, you and me in Christ, is summarized in verse 10. God uses the difficulty, he uses the disciplinary measure in the life of his family, to profit them here and now, and to prepare them as partakers of his holiness. The goal of God's training is holiness. The goal of God's training us is for the endurance of faith and holiness. The word holy is, of course, the same as the word sanctify, the word holy is the same as the word saint. God disciplines his family members that they, like him, will be sanctified. In the first hour, we're studying right now the Lord's Prayer, that model prayer given as a part of the manifesto in which Jesus calls us to call upon our Father which is in heaven, and the first and foremost thing we attend to in that model prayer is, hallowed be thy name. The recognition that God is holy. The recognition that God's holiness is to be stamped in all of his creation. It is not manifest in all of God's creation today because of sin, but we know that that is the program of God, that it will be stamped in all of creation. God is holy, and at some point, future, all Things will be holy because God is holy. In the meantime, you and I are training to get there. You and I are in training to be partakers in God's own perfect holiness. Self-discipline is the expectation 
among family members, yours and God's. The word chastening in our text, throughout our text, repeatedly throughout our text, is interesting in that it is the Greek overarching term for child training. Paadia literally means child training. Last week we saw the same word is translated nurture in Ephesians 5. The same word is translated instruction in 2 Timothy 3. Here the word paadia is translated chastening. All of those concepts beautifully fit under the umbrella of child training. God loves his children, and because of his love for his children, he will not let them go. We just got done singing that at the beginning of this hour, and I couldn't help but think as you were singing that song, as this second hour this morning began, couldn't help but think about uh, one of the best pictures I can think of, of a love that will not let go. How would you depict a love that will not let go? I would suggest the old mother pinching the ear of her rebellious child is the best picture of the love that does not let go. And wow, when God's people sing such a song as that, they get a bunch of warm fuzzies. Because anything, love, gives you the warm fuzzies. But the reality is, the love of God doesn't let go. The love of God disciplines. The love of God disciples. The love of God nurtures. The love of God instructs. The love of God chastens. So says the word of God. This section provides a marvelous pattern for godly parents engaged in the process of training little ones in the home. But it is, above all, a confirmation that God trains his children that they might progress in sanctification until they are perfect in sanctification. When you got saved... It was sanctification begun. Today, God works in your life that sanctification might progress. And there's coming a day when God's sanctification will be perfected in you by God's own promise. I do believe that this section of the Word of God explains precisely what God is up to in our life. If you've ever been inclined to throw up your hands and say, God, why, why, why? Well, this might be it. God is up to something in my life. He's up to something in your life. 
And what he's up to is training us that we might be, end of verse 10, partakers of his holiness. Be holy because your heavenly Father is holy and works to make you holy just as he is holy. Now, there are three undeniable truths about God's training process here that I quickly want to note with you in this text before going beyond those mentions to talk about God's training process. But first, I want to talk about the undeniable truths that this passage of Scripture confirm concerning God's training process. The first thing that I call your attention to from verse 8 is that God trains his own children. God trains his own children. God trains all his children. Verse 8, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. And, of course, that verse builds upon what was said formerly in verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as a family member. God deals with you as a son. The absence of God's disciplinary hand in the life of a person speaks to his or her spiritual illegitimacy. Scripture herein says plainly that all... God's people share in his disciplinary process. All God's children share in his training process. You don't need to pay a fee and get a membership. If you're a child of God, you're in training. All God's children are trained by God. Now, it makes a huge difference concerning the dynamic of a family member and a family member and a family member and not a family member. I remember a quick day back in the spring of the year. It was a beautiful day. And as a young boy, I was on the corner of 32nd Street and Taylor playing for the international championship at the south end of Bay City among the neighborhood boys. I had my Tony Oliva 32-inch bat in my hand. The train was coming, and the rule was back in that day that when the pitch came, if you could hit the train, you won the game no matter what the score. And I was lining up with my 32-inch Tony Oliva to hit the train when she came down at the end of the block. Had to hit the ball one solid city block to hit the train when it was coming by. I snapped the ball, and it hit the train. We won! It was one of the greatest athletic days in my life. But I'd missed supper. And at 20 minutes after 5, a red and white 1953 Pontiac station wagon came to the corner of 32nd and Taylor. And there are a bunch of boys there. There are a bunch of boys there. There are a bunch of boys there. But only one name was called. There were a bunch of boys there. There were a bunch of boys there. There were a bunch of boys there, but only one boy got in the car. There were a bunch of boys there. There were a bunch of boys there. There were a bunch of boys there, but only one boy had the thought he may never get out of that car. (laughs) 
You see, my dad came to discipline me. And sitting in the front seat of the Pontiac, now this is before seatbelts, so my dad could get me. <laughs> sitting in the front seat of the Pontiac, I got news for you. There was no question about the intention of my father as it related to the changing of my behavior, and I was never to miss supper ever again, even if it was the international championship of the whole wide world. By the way, I left my 32-inch bat at the, at, the, at the field, and I was sure that Rodney Neal, my cousin, would steal it. But nonetheless, I had to deal with that later because I had a big problem in the front seat of the 57 Pontiac. All I'm saying to you is this. God trains his own children. If you don't know anything about that, then you really ought to seriously think about, are you God's child? Because whom the Father loves, says the Scripture, he chastens. Secondly, God expects us to cooperate with his training process. Verse 9, in the same way we expect a little child to come under his earthly parents and demonstrate to them respect by obedience, so it is with God. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not rather be in submission, subjection, unto the Father of spirits, and live? The verse uses the term live at the end, referencing its potential quality. A quality life is a result of cooperation with the Father's instruction and correction. The Lord Jesus talked about that. He called it the abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that ye might have life and that ye might have it abundantly. And abundancy of life has to do with the quality of life that is brought to a believer as a result of the instruction and correction of the Heavenly Father. In context of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, 10, 11, the abundancy of life is known in the measure of its holiness. Abundancy is known by the measure of its holiness. God is perfectly holy, and the quality of my life and the quality of your life, even as lived right here and right now, is directly proportional to your holiness. A holy life is the abundant life. And then the third truth is that God's training process works very, very well. Verse 11 confirms that training and discipline is not present, and it likens it to working out in a gym, not gold's gym, but God's gym. When you are worked in God's gym, the result is a greater sense of practical righteousness 
and peace possessed. You are made to be stronger and fit to endure by enduring God's process of training. For you have been given by nature of your salvation two names, the name Son and the name Saint, the name Son and the name Saint, two names given you upon your salvation by faith in Christ. And now you are to know that you have entered God's gym for training in holiness. Verse 11 simply says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So, from this section of the Word of God, with a good portion of time yet to go this morning, I have given you the primary undeniable truths that are asserted from the text. God trains His own children, all His own children. God expects us to cooperate with His training process. God's training process works very well. Three undeniable truths directly from the text. Now, using the logical sequence of the text, I want to demonstrate for everyone, but especially for the benefit of young parents, God's pattern of training. Because I would submit that parental training of children is best when it follows God's pattern of training us. That while the passage deals with the Heavenly Father and his training of us, his children, that the way in which God does that training is indeed the way best for you and I as parents to operate in this old world. So, I have five parts to the training process and about two minutes apart. You ready? Here we go. Number one, training begins with righteous communication and instruction. God can train us in holiness because he has told us in his word that he is holy and that he expects holiness. God has communicated to us as his family what he expects of his family. If we live according to his word, we know that we please him. But since none of us lives according to his word perfectly, we must expect him to use measures to strengthen and refine our lives. In the text, that is called exercise. Holy are the people that are exercised thereby. And as I already told you, gumnazo, entering God's gym. Training begins with the revelation of the Word of God. Number two, training continues by hearing the rebuke of the Word of God when our lives do not meet up with 
his loving communication. We would define rebuke as a verbal reminder of a former instruction. Rebuke, a reminder of a formal instruction. When a clear word has been given, parent to child, then the parent has a tool, and that tool is rebuke. God continues to use his word to rebuke those that are out of sorts with his word, reminding them that their lifestyle is displeasing to him. Now, if a child in my house or a child in God's house listens to the rebuke, then no further correction is necessary. Hence, our communion instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 say, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If you apply to your own heart, if you apply to your own life a fresh sense of what God has said to us concerning his holy expectation, well then, you don't have to work out so hard. You can choose, as it were, to have a little easier time of it. But think of verse 5 in our text where the writer says to the Hebrews, you have forgotten the word which you know. You have forgotten the exhortation. And of course, that in itself is the rebuke. You've forgotten what Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 says. You've forgotten about it. You've forgotten the word of God. You've forgotten what the scriptures say. You've forgotten what God has communicated. Or an application to what individuals home. You've forgotten what dad said. You've forgotten what mother said. The rebuke received would correct the errant thinking of the Hebrew Christians that were discouraged by their difficulties. Number three, training intensifies whenever we do not listen to the rebuke of the faithful word. God chastens his own. We've defined the word chasten as an action to gain once again, attention. The attention of a child. When a child drifts in attention, measures have to be taken to gain their attention. Here's a simple fact. Children do not easily listen. Sometimes they must be made to listen. As a godly parent, you may grab their chin or you may spank their butt in order to bring them willfully to the place of listening. This is exactly what God does in the life of his own children. And believe me when I tell you, God knows how to get our attention. Chastening is the gaining of the attention of a child. God knows how, perfectly how, to gain 
our attention. Number four, training includes punishment. Now, one of the most pertinent pieces of information pastorally when you're training young families in the discipline of their children is that many of them think that what you did to gain their attention is the punishment. No. Punishment is defined as assigning consequence for wrongs committed. Have you ever desperately cried out to God to remove you from the consequence of your own sinfulness and found that he did not do it? God allows his own to face some of the regular consequence of sinfulness even though correction is made and forgiveness is extended. Next week, in the first hour, we'll be preaching about forgiveness and one of the screwball things concerning forgiveness in our day is that people think that once there's forgiveness, there's no consequence. That once you've forgiven, it's everybody gets out of jail. And that is not biblical. Because God disciplines us in a way in which after he has regained our attention, we are confronted with the natural and normal sense of consequence. This, too, is a part of God's training process onto our progress in sanctification. Training includes punishment after chastening. And then fifthly, because God is sovereign and without doubt a perfect disciplinarian, he becomes the perfect example of every godly parent. His goal in us as his children will not be denied. God works, Paul said to the saints at Philippi, in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. This process of training in both its formative and corrective elements makes you in and me in Christ to advance, to progress, to develop. Many, many people that have named the name of Christ and have a reasonable sense that they are gods in salvation, have miserably failed to progress. They've miserably failed to develop, to mature. Life on earth for the believer includes many struggles, difficulties, and hardships, not just allowed by God, but controlled and appointed by God. Some of these allowed to form in us greater strength and character. Some of these allowed in us to correct our wayward behavior. Some of these things allowed in us, but all for the purpose of greater advance in holiness. All things allowed sovereignly purposeful of our wise heavenly Father. We are to understand God's disciplinary hand as evidence of his love. Oh, how I know that love which does not let go.
Here's just a quick review for those of you that are parents and want the list. One, righteous communication of expectations. Two, rebuke according to that communication. Three, intensified measures taken to gain attention if rebuke not immediately received. Three, four, punishment assigned in consequence for bad behavior after rebuke. And five, affirmation of love and commitment. Years ago as a young pastor, God impressed upon me the relational value of Proverbs 27.6. That proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The word faithful in that verse means confirming, upholding, nourishing, and correcting. It references relational faithfulness, the very kind of relational faithfulness that results in, at times, wounding or bruising the other person in view. It's really easy as a husband. When your wife comes out and she says, how does this look? It's real easy to just say, oh, looks good, honey. It looks good. It looks good. But you are only loving her if you say to her, no, that particular thing does not flatter you. That does not help you. And she might be wounded. But such are the faithful wounds of a husband friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Pastors are not intended to be the congregational buddies of every person in the flock. They are intended by God to be real friends. Real confirming, upholding, nourishing, and correcting friends. In that sense, Every godly parent is the best friend of their own child or children. Any parent unwilling to inflict some relational pain toward the goal of truth and living grace functions in the role of a deceitful enemy. Most American children today live with their enemies. God himself tells us the training process works the same for him, the heavenly parent, as it works for parents on earth. The difference, God is the perfect trainer. Earthly parents do what they think is best according to the flesh. God does what is best according to the Spirit. So says verse 9. This results in the children of God partaking in His holiness. Verse 10. 
and living on earth a life of greater righteousness and peace. Verse 11. The training process is not easy on the ones that are being trained, but afterwards, but afterwards, but afterwards, it is so much good and so much better. May God help us all to understand. Father, thank you for a very practical reminder of how it is that you operate and how it is that you have called upon godly parents to operate in the structure of the home. Help us then to constantly turn our minds, even as the beginning of our text admonishes us to do so, in contemplation of Christ, the perfect example of trusting and obeying, the perfect example of loving and hoping according to the word of God, the perfect example, so much more than an example, but nonetheless the perfect example. And help us this week to make our speech and our thoughts more and more about the Lord Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.